Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. We are excited that you are joining in, listening uh, to this podcast. And basically, the goal of this podcast is to dive in deeper in content and conversation from the previous week's sermon at Westside. And so what we believe is that all good sermons should not end a conversation, they should begin a conversation. And so this is a great opportunity to chat and talk about that. In the studio with us this week, we have got Miss Nikki joining us again. Hey, hey. Hey, Miss Nikki. I got a lot of feedback. Everybody loved hearing your southern twang last oh, week. my cornbread coming out of my mouth. I love it. I love it. Just to get you guys a quick update, talked with Pastor Tyler today. He had his vocal cord surgery. They removed the cyst. The doctors feel confident about that procedure, about getting everything. He is on about a week of very limited speaking and then progressing from that point forward. But they are extremely grateful for everybody reaching out, praying for them. And now he is on the up and up on the healing for all of that stuff. So we're thankful for that. Very. But Miss Nikki, we dove in to an entire new series. Yeah, so week. <laughs> let's get the lady that hangs out with the kid and literally dances <laughs> down the aisle of the church. Yep. We're going to talk about Perfect. the new sermon series, Memento More. Yep, Memento More. That's okay, it, it's hard man. for me to do that with or do that without wanting to do like a very horrible Italian accent. Yeah, in my right. Southern, I love it. Southern. You know what's funny is is there was a lot of people Sunday that were like, "Man, I'm so excited for the new series," but I was like sad to see New Year, New Family go. It and was, was it was good. Yeah. It was foundational for us as Absolutely. a church. Absolutely, it it, it will always hold. Like I said, that special place yep. in my heart because it is. I've watched it do so many things over the years. Absolutely, it's great. yeah. Um. So yeah, we're in Momento More. Um. And if you listened to it, um, if you weren't there in person, um, the bumper that was rolled out <laughs> and the lovely graphics and the whole yes. thing was to, uh, you heard knocking on heaven's door. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and we chose Bob Dylan over the Guns N' Roses version. Yeah, well, he's the originator, he number one. And number two, I think that's one of the only remakes that some people would arguably say is better than the original. Right. But it's Dylan. It's well, and he you know? is he is a songwriter, yep. but his lyrics yes. are so heavy that man's and a poet. meaningful. Absolutely. 100 percent Absolutely. Um okay, so we were in Memento More, which means it yep. comes from the Latin. Explain the meaning a little bit. Yeah, so the the phrase first off comes from the Latin translation in our Bible of Genesis 319 where God pronounces the curse, um, Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. And in Genesis 3.19, he says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So historically, um, through the church, that phrase kind of got shortened um, because of liturgical practices Mm -hmm. Ash Wednesday, those types of things like that, it sort of got shortened down to uh, memento mori, which is remember your death. You are dust. You'll go back to dust. This is the curse and the pronouncement that now death has entered into God's creation, which it was never intended to be there for humanity to die. And then the really cool story, just uh, you know, another, I don't want to say urban legend, but as history says, when a Roman gladiator or when Caesar would come into town from a great victory, they're throwing the parades, rose petals are falling, Russell Crowe's getting cheered right. for, you're the man. There would be someone in the chariot who would whisper to the gladiator, memento more, remember your death, remember you're just a man. See, I feel like, and I know you're a basketball guy, yeah. and we live in basketball country, like... Yeah. Girls basketball around here is fire, not just for local small schools, but 100%. Uh, the Lady Raiders yes. are killing it yes, right now. Yes, they are, man. Yes, they um, are. When it comes to that, we were discussing the game the other day and LeBron, and I have lots of thoughts about LeBron. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, humility, mm, not <laughs> yes. a thing that man understands. So yes. they had the, 
the Romans had the slaves in there, yeah. kind of keeping their LeBron egos in check. <laughs> hey, good. remember, you're going to die. That's good. Which yes. is, you know, necessary to keep haunting. people. Yeah. When I hear that, I just think like haunting. Like you've done all of this. Thousands of people are cheering for you. And then you have the juxtaposition of you're going to die. Yeah. Womp, womp. You're going to die. Yep. Yeah, you're going to die. So we, as a church, yeah. you said, hey... And you've been excited about this, and I've been watching it. Like, yeah. we've been talking about it in staff meetings for the for last sure. few months. I know it's been building, and it was something that was laid on your heart a while back. Yep. And you finally got to where you're like, I got to get this out. Yep. We're leading up to Easter, which yep. is like celebratory. Absolutely. It should be, we should focus on Calvary, focus on that cross, yes. and be grateful, thankful, and all those things. And you're over here, you are pulling that, like, hey. Memento Mori. Remember, guys, yes. here's where. That's good. Yeah. So in doing this, leading up to Easter, I honestly think the timing is perfect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a number of factors in it and, you know, that we'll get into. But I think one of the things that we do is, and we say this often at Westside, is you can't have a resurrection until you have a crucifixion. Right. And so long before we get into Easter, that's why historically in the church calendar, Good Friday was held with such gravitas and meaning as Easter. Yeah. So you have to have Friday in order to get Resurrection Sunday. So, yeah. And I, and I think um, for me personally, um, one thing I do every year is I watch The Passion of the Christ. Yeah, that's leading good. Leading up to Easter. That's great. Um, because the mama heart in me, I cannot imagine watching oh. your, you know, even though you know, you, yeah. you've had angels speak to you and you know, my human brain cannot sure. reconcile that. So absolutely. I always think Oof. like it, it is absolutely a balancing scale of you, you can't have the good without absolutely first. So yep. we were in the text. And one thing I love that you do with your preaching is you always bring it right back to God's word. Amen. So we were in Psalm 90. Yeah. Um, and we read the entire the entire chapter of Psalm yep. 90, the whole thing. And one of the things you hit on that I think was really good, because I don't know if everybody knew that. Yeah. Um, Moses wrote it. Sure. Yeah. Um, which was one of the earliest yeah. recorded yeah. books written. Yeah, so the, so the top of the psalm... Some of the Psalms tell us who wrote it, mm -hmm. some don't, obviously all written by the Holy Spirit, but it says, the Psalm of Moses, a man of God. And what we know historically in what scholars pass down to us in their scholarly work is Psalm 90, along with the book of Job, and particularly some parts of Job, are the oldest parts of our Bible. So Psalm 90 essentially is one of the first things that Moses wrote down while they were in the wilderness. And I, and I love that you tied that back into while they were in the wilderness. Yeah. So we know from reading, from understanding, and from what scholars have found, um, Moses absolutely had the authority sure. to speak and say, hey, God is telling us this. Yeah, for sure. This. Um, and we've been explaining that to our kids' side as we're coming out of the Ten Commandments, yeah. and we're, we kind of bridged that gap for the kids this week. And one thing I wanted to do is you, in the very first line of the text, and it says a prayer of Moses. So we know it's a prayer. I mean, it says a man of God. We know Moses is that man of yeah. God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And we know from history that Moses wrote this when he was, you know, walking around homeless. Right. Yeah, the significance of that is pretty incredible. And I love that the first word of the psalm is Lord. Mm -hmm. Like, so again, in context, this is why we study the Bible. This is why this is so significant. One of the oldest things written in our Bible, the very first line is Lord, God's personal name. And Moses is saying, you have been our dwelling place. And the irony is, is they had no dwelling place whatsoever. And we basically just sort of broke that down for free, as I like to say in my sermon. This isn't, this wasn't even, you know, in the notes, but this is no matter what's going on, no matter where you're at, we do find that God has always been there. God has always been leading us there. Right. God is our dwelling place. <clears throat> and the significant thing is, is that Moses starts with God. Before he addresses anything else, he starts with the greatness of God. And, and so we just said that. We said, like, listen, some of you are here today, maybe for your first time. And what probably brought you here was, man, I need to get closer to God. I need to relate. I need to renew. I need to return. 
Whatever those things are, the most important thing for you to know is in order to piece back and build back your life, you don't start with you. I you love start that with you God. Said that. Yeah. Because as you're like, what brings people to church? Why would you come to church? And honestly, I met a new family. Yeah. They, I got to meet three new little kids. Love it. And there were several um, new faces that yeah, I noticed lot. today, yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. And in that, we forget if you've been in a church for a while or you've been walking with Christ a while, sometimes we don't. We're not aware. I guess that would be the best 100%. way. We are unaware of, hey, we've got a new person coming in. Yep. They don't know all the things that we know. Absolutely. So I love that even though you did challenge the people, and we will get to that at the end of the sermon, you yeah. challenged the church as a whole yeah. in a beautiful way. But it still is simple enough that you said, hey, you got you here yep. because I need, I need, I sure. want, I, 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 I. Yep. But we need to look back to Moses and remember it comes God first. Absolutely. God has to come first in, in doing that. So the world is dark. The world is heavy right yes. now. And I know that's part of the reason why you wanted to jump into this yeah. sermon series. And you listed, you know, all of the things um, that we, walking through the church calendar. Yeah, sure. We have Advent, Epiphany, Lent. Yep. Um, for those that don't know what those mean, do a real quick run through of those seasons. Yeah, sure. So the good thing is, is Christianity didn't start in a vacuum. You know, we have history to show us and the early Christians lived by. So we know that calendars create culture, right? Mm -hmm. So your house, my house, our lives are governed by calendars. And so people of old knew this as well. But at the same time, they knew that in order to be formed into a follower of Christ, that our life should be shaped around Christ's life. So literally what the church calendar is, is it's Jesus's life. So starting in Christmas with his arrival, Advent, we've got the time leading up to Christmas, which is Advent where we prepare ourselves. Then the 12 days of Christmas, the feasts, he's here, this is awesome. And then from there, it moves on to Epiphany, where we see these sort of aha moments, this revelation that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And then after the season of Epiphany, the church moves into what's known as Lent. And what that is, is that that takes Christ's temptation in the wilderness. And there's this scene in the Gospels where it says, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Right. Basically, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die. And so what the church has done historically during this season leading up to Easter is to prepare us for Easter, to remember the temptation of Christ, our baptism, the death of Christ. And historically, the church has fasted and kind of looked at our mortality, essentially. And so it starts with Ash Wednesday, which is a dark service where at one point you come forward and the priest dips his fingers in ashes, puts the sign of the cross on your forehead and says, from dust you were created into dust you shall return. And it's a powerful thing. It's a season of repentance. It's to remind ourselves that we are mortal, that we are broken. And so that was a real significant thing to go, okay, this is already appropriate. Absolutely. Historically, you know, for the season to do that. Okay. So we, we do have that and we just come like, Ash Wednesday was the Wednesday before yep. you opened Memento Mori on the following Sunday. Yep. And we are in that right now. But we're also, um, my 22-year-old son said, I'm so tired of living through historic events. Mm, yeah. Because, it's good. you know, COVID yep. has happened for the last two years. Like the last couple of weeks, we were all shut down yep. um, two years ago. Yep. Then we have the political climate. When yep. you're trapped at home, with your family, your kids are out of school. School got out for spring break and never, then never went, went back. Never went back. That's um, right. My daughter was in the eighth grade, and when the schools were asking, hey, would your kid come in person? She's like, please don't make me stay home anymore. <laughs> she was ready to go to high school. Yeah, man. Um, and other kids were the same way. Sure. Everybody, the socialization, the people wanted to be around other people. Yep. And what the pandemic did was isolate us. hundred percent. So we turned to fake people. Yeah. And I use that because we still were having relationships mm. with people, but we were doing it via a screen, whether yeah. it be your television, your tablet, yeah. your phone, yeah. 
you were still isolated, but you could still reach out and connect. Yeah. But I think it gave us a false connection because we were seeking so many answers. Yeah. Through those screens. Sure. hundred percent. Yeah. It was definitely, I think, you know, I heard one psychologist say it this way, we will be studying our reaction to COVID and its social implications and effects longer than we will be studying COVID. Oh, I have zero doubt that that's so, not an so, accurate statement. So COVID as a disease, you know, there's been tons of study and research, but the books written on what has happened to society, I mean, think about it. Andy Grace was in kindergarten, yeah. very formative year, yeah. very formative year, learning how to read, doing all of that social implications. Well, that's going to affect her graduating class 17 years from now. Like, so, I mean, these implications are vast. They're vast. They're, they're going to be huge. Yeah. Um, and the sad part of that is we will not know exactly sure. until it's here, until yep. we're dealing with it. Yeah. But in that, so we had a pandemic. Yeah. We had the political climate that was, I love this one, I hate that one, I love this one, I hate that one. Then yeah. we had all of the racial injustices and drama and and the news media when it came to the George Floyd, you know, verdict, his death, every, I mean, that was, you could not. We were locked away in our homes and on repeat was a, I mean, listen, all, everything political aside, this is just, these are just facts. Right. We were locked away and a video of a man dying was everywhere. Every all the time. On top of that, there's a death ticker and counter every morning and every evening in the news. Yeah. So at the top of the screen, there was this many people have died. This many people have died. George Floyd goes viral. And then like Kobe Bryant, a mm-hmm. celebrity. And we're like, oh my and so yeah, I just said the past two years, death has been the elephant in the room. It's been everywhere. I do not know a single person who has not felt that weight of death in some way. For sure. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying COVID-related death. Yeah. Um, because we had a death in our family, mm. and it was not COVID-related. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to, and this is another area that kind of, I think, portrays into God's perfect timing here. Yeah. Because of the um, precautions, the mandates, Mm. the rules that are in place in specific areas, we were having this conversation earlier, my son Tyler and I, Mm -hmm. about how things have changed when it comes to life and death. So we have all these new rules that we're following, and unfortunately that does isolate us from those that are dying. Yeah, 100%. So we couldn't visit family the way we could before when they were ill because we didn't want to get them sick or yeah. take something more to them. And yeah. so all of this death has just been everywhere. You and we weren't able to grieve it. You know, normally one of the things that I'll get into this coming week is how we've how death has changed over the years, very much so. And so now, you know, I had to pray with people over the phone. Exactly. As a pastor, because they were up in barns and you couldn't, it was locked down. You're not getting in, you're not doing anything. And so it was just, it was bizarre, which led me into like, as a pastor, so it's Lent, we've got all this going on, but then our shared experiences. Yeah. Like, the amount of funerals there there has just been a season in west side i would say over the past 2 years that have coincided with covid it's mm-hmm. not necessarily covid right. luckily we are in the part of the country that i'm a pastor i i haven't had to preach a covid death funeral which is a beautiful thing i'm very grateful for that cuz i know guys in parts of the country that did multiple a week oh. on stuff like that but with that our church was in a season of death yeah. and matriarchs and patriarchs and and all of that. And for our family, Courtney's grandmother passed away. And that was a big deal. It was along the same lines, I mean, exactly with COVID. She had a brain aneurysm and 
a lot of things like that. And when the ambulance came and got her, it was 22 days until we saw her again because she was up in St. Louis. No one could go in. No one could do anything. And when Donna passed away, she's gaga to the kids. That thrusted Courtney and I into this season of parenting where now our kids were not only A, aware of death, but B, death had taken something. Right. It had now entered into our life. And so as I was processing all of that, I became aware of something very significant. A, kids are very free to talk about stuff. They're, they're just okay to Come talk back about. to kids' side yes. for prayer requests and parents. Yep. Oh, my stars. And we'll so ask asking them. questions, doing all of that, they're very free. So when it came to death and Gaga being gone, came a flood of questions. And then B, I realized how uncomfortable I was with actually talking about it. And so as a parent, you felt the temptation of, wanting to smooth things over and not, yeah, you want to fix you, you want to, um, you know, give easy answers and really primarily what the past, you know, year plus has been for us is a lot of holding and crying and just letting them talk and letting them say, I miss Gaga. Why did she have to go? Those types of things. And we just cry and hold. And man, if that's going on in, in just our family, that's got. I mean, that's going on in a ton of people's families yeah, as well. No one. Um, my mother-in-law, um, from a former church member who's now moved away, had a sign that I remember sitting um, on a bookcase right beside her front door, so you would see it when you would walk yeah. out. And Susan done it in beautiful calligraphy, and it said, "Don't take life too seriously. No one gets out of it alive." Yeah, that's great. And so when sure. you mentioned that, you know, hey, everybody dies. Welcome to West Side. Yep. I'm like. No one, Yeah, we have to learn to explain that better to our 100%. kids. So I love that we are doing this. But what would be um, a way, and I want to revisit because you just mentioned it when talking mm-hmm. about your kids. Your kids were okay to talk about it. Yep. You weren't. Sure. So how do we get those that are a little more reluctant, mm-hmm. how do we lovingly yeah. bring them to like, hey, we need to have not only the practical conversation Mm -hmm. Um, but if it's someone we don't know where their belief system lies where their thoughts are if they're they are someone who's maybe like hey you do life a little different than I do sure but you've got that relationship with them how can we have those conversations and I'm asking this in two parts one practically for hey it's death I know it's hard I know it's heavy sure but two hey I'm worried about your soul yeah yeah for sure how do we start those those are great questions so I think the first thing is how do we practically have the conversation well first off one of the points and reasons why I said that we're doing this series is how much the Bible actually talks about it. So there's over 2,000 plus verses that speak directly to death, dying, sleep, those types of things. On average, when you take in the deaths that happen in the Bible and how much the Bible talks about death, it's almost every nine chapters on average when the Bible mentions or speaks to death. Okay, so that's a lot. So number one, If we're talking to our kids, I think a foundational piece is, hey, we love the Bible in our home. We follow Jesus. And the Bible talks a lot about this. And so we're going to talk about this. We're uncomfortable with this because we don't like things to end. And there's a lot of sadness that comes with this. And the sadness is okay because Jesus wept. And so I think think using the Bible as the foundation. Hopefully that's the goal for all of us as parents. And to say the Bible uses this as normal language, so so are we. Secondly, there's a, like I like to say, there's a ditch on either side of the road, and this is kind of getting into this week, but it's going to be great. I think when it comes to death, we do a number of things. The first thing is this, is we downplay it. So it's um, like, we don't have funerals anymore. We have celebration of life. Yeah. We have memorial service. They passed on. I had a lady one time, so I worked a number of years at a, at a funeral home as in-house chaplain. You do have a unique perspective yeah, into for this. Sure. Yeah, for sure. The, because yeah. I know how much this literally affects everyone's yeah. life. All it is is time. It just hasn't happened to you yet. Yet. That's it. That's it. That's it. And so I remember a lady saying when she was, we were talking about the funeral service, and she said, I mean, I don't know. I don't want it to be like he died. But he did. Yeah. 
okay. I just think that speaks volumes because, again, it reflects that we're going to be there someday. So we either downplay it or what I like to say is is we um, we turn up the volume and then try to evangelize people with it, meaning you know, you're going to die too, this, that, and the other, or we downplay it and spiritualize it in the sense of, well, they just closed their eyes and now they're in the presence of Jesus, which by the way, I believe is true, but but I'm still sad. Right. Great example. Yeah. So we had to be careful talking to our kids because Piper was like, but I love Gaga and Gaga's gone. And so if Jesus took Gaga from me... I'm going to be mad at Jesus. Why is Jesus good? You know, and so, man, I just think we need to be very careful about the language. I just think it's real. It's sad. The Bible uses this language, and then we're just processing this as we go. And would you have that same conversation? You mentioned it with your kids. Would you Mm -hmm. have that same conversation with, and I'm going to throw a number out there, a 70-year-old? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think they're closer. I mean, uh, yeah, statistically. 100%. I mean, I think if you have a, a, a relationship with somebody who's that age, what I have found is they will bring it up and they bring it up in subtle ways like, oh, you know, this body don't work like it used to. Or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm heading into the bonus years now. You know, I mean, like there's a subtle way that they bring these things up. But I think when you ask them that stuff, you can ask them like, man, 70 years on this planet, 70 years, seven decades, what have you learned? What have you seen? What have you, I think bringing those kinds of questions up organically is speaking to the issue for sure. And I think that's a brilliant way to have those, because nobody really wants to just, hey, we're sitting around, we've barbecued, we're hanging out. So where are you going to be buried at? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's right. just not exactly, where are yep. you going to go on vacation? Yep, yep. that comes up. Yep. What kind of headstone do you want? <laughs> that's right. Just, it, it doesn't quite resonate the same nope, way, even doesn't. though it doesn't. we may not all go on vacation, we're all going to die. I mean, yep. so it is absolutely a necessary conversation for sure um and bringing those people in who maybe aren't who are on the cusp of following jesus they're not quite Mm. there yet yeah that would be a different conversation yeah and i think here's here's how you can have a conversation with someone who's not a believer okay so this series we're talking about what philosophers would call one of the big five questions like where did i come from where am i going why am i here why am I going to die? Or what happens to me after I die? So one of the things that I think Christians need to change their perspective on is it's presented that Christians need to be on the defensive, that we need to explain what happens after you die. Your whole religion believes that Jesus rose from the dead, blah, blah, blah. The reality is, is we are not on the defensive. Our Bible very clearly talks about it, the tenets of our faith. The average person who has heard of Jesus knows there's something about him rising from the dead. We don't need to provide the answer. They do. So it's not critiquing Christianity. I like that. You don't need to critique necessarily what I... And we can. We can have that conversation. That's fine. But here's what I find people do often. They criticize another worldview without providing an answer. And you can't do that. I mean, that's not even the basic rules of rhetoric. Like, you need to restate my position, critique it, and then propose your own solution. So somebody who is a non-believer, I would ask them what they believe. You know, and if it's, ah, you know, I remember a family member and spending time and, and, and having this conversation, he was dying of cancer. He just basically kept saying, you know, I don't think anybody can know. I don't think anybody can know. And I remember asking him, then why are we obsessed with it? Like and his response? Was kind of like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. If, if nobody knows, then why are we searching so desperately for it? And then once it came closer and, and the cancer was eating away at him, I just kind of submitted to him, you know, you're a logical guy, and the only way that we can know about something is if somebody has been there, experienced it, and come back to tell us. And I said, that is the gospel. I believe that yeah. Jesus really died, 
and I believe he really rose, and I believe he really came back to tell us. And so it's a beautiful thing, but I just think Christians need to chill. Like, we're not on the defensive. I would ask what they're, and if it's, well, nothing, okay, well, then if it's nothing, then what is the point of your life? I I think that's a very fair and a very good way to diffuse, because as Christians, we do take this relationship. Yeah. And I don't want to say, like, there's a religion and then there's a relationship. Sure, sure. I have a relationship with Jesus, yeah. um, and I want to tell everybody about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to defend my religion. And I think <laughs> that making them restate, like, what do you think is going to happen is a beautiful way to kind of... It's <coughs> good. And eliminate that conversation For sure. where it's not... You're defending a religion Absolutely. instead of explaining a savior. Absolutely. Um, so in the text, one thing that is done well is there's a compare and a contrast in this. Yeah. And it does, you know, Moses started it with Lord, him, then us. Yep. And he reminds us that man will return to dust. Yeah. For a thousand years in his sight, in God's sight. And yeah. we... Go. You did the compare and contrast about God is everlasting. Yeah. And then we get on to verse 10, and the years of your life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Here's what's interesting about that. Before science, before anything, and by the way, in Moses' day, the average lifespan was maybe 40. Like 40 was like old, old back then. But Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the average lifespan now is 79. Mm-hmm. And so he is on the mark. He is on the money talking about the average 70 years max. And then he says, with strength, 80. Like, I just found that really, really compelling, that the Bible in a poetic way is proving a real reality that the average lifespan is about 79, 78 years old. I just thought that was cool. But I love that you brought the science into that because we and the medical world will say they don't exactly know what starts a heart. The sure. heart sparks, it starts. Sure. Um, I know what starts the heart, but right. that's because, you know, I, I read a book. It tells me things. <laughs> um, it's not super hard for me to be like, well, that's a God thing. That's, that's not a man thing. Yeah. But there is this, con- you know, compare and contrast throughout this. And then it goes to the years of your life. So I want to talk about the years of the life. And I'm going to bring mm-hmm. up... The clock. Yeah, for sure. Um, because that is one thing that has been spoke about that I've heard most yep. when it comes to the first. And you've used that illustration in the past. This yeah. wasn't really new if you've been at Westside for, for a while. Sure. But explain Leslie Weatherhead. Yep. Basically, yeah. and it was 70 years. Yeah, so 79 years. What, what Leslie did, because in verse 12 sort of the theme and the thrust of everything. And the where we really camped out was Moses says, so teach us to number our days. The compare and contrast is Psalm 90 is the greatness of God and the weakness of man. So in light of that, what are we supposed to do? Moses asks, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So Leslie Weatherhead takes mathematically 79 years is the average lifespan. So if you map that out, through a 24-hour day on a clock to 79 years. So basically, one 24-hour day is one lifetime. It says this, if you're 15 years old, the time is 10.25 a.m. And as the mother of a 16-year-old, they're not even out of bed yet unless they have to be. (laughs) It's good. And if you're 20, it's 11.34 a.m. If you're 25, it's now 12.42 p.m. If you're 30, it's 1.51 p.m. If you're 35, it's 3 p.m. If you're 40, it's 4.08 p.m. If you're 45, it's 5.15. If you're 50, it's 6.25. By the age of 55, it is 7.24 p.m. If you're 60, it is 8.42 p.m. If you're 65, the time is 9.51 and if you are 70 years old, it is 11 p.m. on the clock. Okay. I want to know, like, that made people feel some things. Sure. Um, yeah, I had a conversation sure. with um, a guy, and he was, like, mid-30s, and he's like, it was already after lunch. Right. 
And I know a wife turned to her husband and said, I didn't really like that. Yeah. Um, because, and, because what we think in, so when he said it's after lunch, you know how quick your day goes Yeah. from, I mean, you know, I always say after lunch, the day's over mm. almost. It just all bleeds together. Even my husband, morning people. Yep. Woo. And then it's like, well, how quick is my life? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think, I think having children makes you more aware of how quick and fast no life question. goes. No question. And I think more so once your children enter school age because you blink, they're in first grade, and the next thing you know, they're graduating. And you live and die back to the calendar because yep. we do. We live and die by a calendar. Yeah. School's in session. Oh, it's summer. We've got all, and life kind of slows down, but not really. I feel like summer's three weeks. It feels like Summer's it. three weeks. And, and that's it. I mean, I'm blinking thinking, okay, my daughter is getting, you know, she's 16. She's got her license. She's yeah. going to prom. She's doing all these high school things. And when we think COVID started two years ago when she wasn't even in high school yet, it wow. was just, yeah. it all has happened so fast. Absolutely. So in this clock thing, I think it really did force our congregation and hopefully those who listened, whether you were in person or on the web somewhere listening to kind of pause and think, oh, wow, yeah, where am I at in this? But more importantly, where do I want to be? Yes, that's the key. And now, you're, and, and now you're getting close to sort of what the thrust yeah. of, of, of what all of this is. Because Moses says, teach us to number our days so that. So, man. There's a reason. Anytime I'm teaching the Bible, I'm like, if you see a so that, because, for, underline, circle, because what's coming after that is a big deal. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the Bible, and I love this because this is the antithesis of the world's wisdom. The world would say, like, you know, um, do you, it doesn't matter, just follow your heart, whatever, like this. And Moses is going, no, no, no. Your life is a mist. I mean, he he literally yeah. compares it in the psalm to a dream. And, and I mean, think how fleeting your dreams are. It's so quick that if you number your days and make your days count, you will gain a heart of wisdom. And so we said the goal of this series from, from start to finish is that by remembering our death, that we'll renew our life. And I think um, you choosing that as our big idea. And when it comes to Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Yeah. It does not say gain a knowledge of wisdom, a mm. brain of wisdom. It says a heart. It's good. Um, why? Why hearts? If we remember our death yeah. so we can renew our life. Yeah. Because, uh, because I think so biblically, when the Bible uses wisdom literature, wisdom, um, see how to put this, wisdom to the Jews was not knowledge, okay? That was a Greek philosophy. Wisdom to the Jews was application of knowledge be, be, because there's some things that you can only ascertain by doing, Yes. So example, you can teach someone how to give a lecture. You can read a book. You can do all of that. But when that person stands up in front of a room full of people and gives a lecture, everything changes. And then there's things that matter and things don't. So the Jewish understanding of wisdom was the application of information. And so what Moses is saying here is the way that we apply what God has given us in his word is by understanding how fleeting our life really is and how short it really is. I, I love that. I love that you chose that verse and you challenged us to meditate on it throughout the week. And we will get into that sure. here in a few minutes. Um, but you quoted St. Jose Maria, yeah. and I'm not even going to attempt yeah, you're good. to butcher that you're last good. name. Escarvilla. Yeah. Yep. This cornbread mouth does not roll her <laughs> R's at all. Ask my high school Spanish it. teacher. I love it. Um at least once daily, cast your mind ahead to the moment of death so that you can can consider the events of each day in this light. Yeah, man, which then rolls into, okay, so as I meditated on Psalm 90, verse 12, and then that quote, I thought, okay, so what's the inverse of that? 
If I don't consider my death, I'll live in folly. I'll live in foolishness, right? Yeah. Because if I consider my death, wisdom will come to me. That means that the decisions that I make and the arguments that I'm having or this, that, and the other, the priority list changes when you realize you're going to die, you know? And so if I don't do that, then I will have foolishness. But really, that's the terminology that we use is regrets. Yeah. That's what we would use. That time has passed. I wish I had done something different. And so that's why the application sentence was, regrets are the result of failing to remember our death. I think that, oh man, I can't tell you how many conversations as an in-house chaplain and as a pastor that when I sit in that living room or at that fellowship hall or after that luncheon or that memorial service, the tears are often tears of regret. Mm. way more than they are i'm sad that they're gone right. it's it's i'm sad that they're gone but i wish i would have said this to them 100%. done this with them had more time with them 100%. not i wish i would have worked harder so i could have made more boat payments yeah. which led right into um Bronnie weirs she's an australian author and and her book which is haunting because the title of her book is is she was a hospice nurse and caregiver and she was also an author. So like both of those worlds converged and she wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. That's the title of the book. And each chapter is one of the top five things in descending order that she would hear from people who were getting ready to die. And then in the chapter, she would tell the story or mm -hmm. use a couple of examples of what that was. And man, when I walked through that list Sunday, I could just hear and feel. And I had, oh. a, I had a lot of people come up to me afterwards and they were like, man, I don't know how I feel, but like I feel something that was very, very significant to me. So I think it'd be good to walk, walk through these top five regrets of the dying. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely. We are absolutely going to walk through these. Um, and then I'm going to ask you a, a really awesome. super fun question after Good. that, so be prepared. Good. Um, so the fifth one, and we are going in descending order from least to yeah. greatest. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Whew. I heard that, and I was like, as a like, I don't want to put that expectation on my kids. That's the I I thought of like a classic like take over the family business. Yeah. Or something, I don't know. I you mean, know? yeah, it was one of those like, oh, for me, it was kind of a conviction. Like, are you putting expectation on your kids right now? Like, right. don't do that. Knock it off. I felt a conviction. It's a in good that. insight. It's good. It really was for me. I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I mean, that just lays everybody out in the room. Oh. You know, I've never, and even one the guy that I was speaking of, who was a very successful carpenter, had gone all over the world, had done everything was a master craftsman. I would go see him every Thursday and spend time with him. And he never, in those last two months, ever mentioned his pride of woodworking or something he had built with his hands or he didn't care about any of that didn't. stuff. Yeah, I wish None I worked so hard. Yep. Um, that was, yeah, I'm married to a workaholic. He squirmed a little. I kind of yep, loved it. For sure. Um. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. That one's a big one. That one surprised me that it's on the list, but it makes sense once you read it. And 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 that doesn't just mean negative. Right, no. It, it actually means more positive. So when yeah. I first processed it and was reading the book, I was like, oh man, I can't believe that there's that many people who were like, I wish I could have told my boss, whatever. It's actually the opposite. It's, I love you. Yeah. Like it's it's more of how I f really, really feel. I you should know? have told them how special they were to 100%. Me. Yeah, yes, I yes. I wish I would have stayed in touch with my friends. I, I really like, okay, so the family part of it all. And I come from, my mom's the youngest of six. I'm one of four. Like yeah. big families are around us. We're, you know, in the middle of America here, um, more towards the South. So big families are a normal thing. You're one of four. Yeah. Um, I really would have thought, like, I would have wished I would have spent more time with my family, might have been higher up there. Sure. But more in touch with my friends. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. 
because Jesus had friends. Yeah, man. That's he good. had friends. He hung out with people. It's really good. Yeah. We as adults especially get bogged down with our family, our job, our mm. this, our that, our to-do list. Yeah, 100%. That our friends kind of do fall by the wayside. So I thought that was really telling that that made the list and was so high up on it. And so high up because I, I just read this book where we experience joy. So it's a book about like brain science and the church. It's, it's really cool. But we experience joy in other people's faces. Our brain releases the joy chemical when I see joy in your face. Okay. So you cannot, this, and so I just wrote in the margin of the book, I can't be happy in isolation. I think that's very fair and telling. And so I think what when I meditate on that more, C.S. Lewis says, um, friendship is when you turn to someone and says, wait, you too, I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And so I think it's so high up because because of the number one, it deals with joy and happiness, and friends are directly related to that. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved that that stayed in touch yeah. with my friends. And then the number one regret that she lists, I wish I had let myself be happier. Which I thought was literally the rewording of Psalm 90. Yeah. Don't take your life so seriously. No. It's not... About you? It's not that serious. And in light of everything, when you're getting ready to cross over into eternity, it's not that serious, you know? Yeah, man, that's good. What's the question? Okay, so you're sitting, you're you're leading a room of close to 300 people. Yeah. Several new faces. Sure. Who've never heard you before, (laughs) maybe. Sure. I mean, they might have never have heard you. Um, And... Preaching to them, talking with them in this is going to be different. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be, you're not going to have the background of their baggage. Yep. I want to talk about the handful of people in that room. You and Courtney have experienced death. Rick and I have experienced death. I could sit here and probably go through both hands and rattle off congregate names who have experienced death in the last two years. For sure. How did that feel as a preacher? Yeah. As a friend, sure. as a leader yeah. to these people, you've sat with us, you've prayed with us. Yeah. How was it bringing that into the room? Yeah. Number one, it never ceases to amaze me who God brings on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. So as I'm preparing all week, I'm thinking, I'm praying, and then I see someone on Sunday that I haven't seen in a while. And I'm like, God, of course you would bring this person yeah. here today because I get to stand up and say this. But I think first and foremost, it really made my heart tender. Yeah. It really made it tender that this is not an ethereal, detached concept. We are not philosophically uh, addressing these issues. We're literally, as I looked out and in some portions of the sermon, saw tears coming down people's faces Mm. because the grief and everything was so close. Secondly, my... It took me a little bit of time to shift from, oh, no, this is going to be hard for them mm-hmm. to, man, this is exactly what they need. Because we're talking about it through the lens of Scripture. We're, we're using the language that the Bible uses. This is not an, an end with no hope, as one author says. It's an endless hope. That's where we're going with this series. And if anything, it is going to use the pain and the grief that they now experience. It's going to give them an application lane to run with and process and use that grief. So it was a place of tenderness, and then it was a place of this is exactly what they need. I love that because sitting there knowing the topic, and I do kind of have some inside information. I mean, I get to sit with you every week and kind of hear what's coming and, you know, I knew this has been building for a while. I saw a few people and I'm like, I know. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Here we go. And I'm thinking, and I'm like, Lord, let their hearts be soft enough to Amen. hear this. Amen. Um. So in those, do you have when it comes to the list of regrets? Do yeah. you have one that you're like, I'm going to, Oof. I'm going to do this. 
I, I do, yeah. and I will I will happily lead. No, you yeah, because I am sure. putting you on the spot with some hard questions. No, I think it's great. Um, I think the work is pretty big, mm-hmm. pretty big for me, because I I you want to know how messed up pastors are? Let me tell you for just a second. I even push myself because I say this has an eternal impact. Mm which is a crock of crap because it's like God doesn't need me. You Nobody know, like, wants you. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so I push myself because I'm like, the souls are at stake, or, and that's all self-imposed. That's ridiculous. So that one sticks out to me. But I think the friends is huge. I mean, I mean that so many people yeah. on their deathbed Thought of their friends. Yes. is is I mean, you can't look at that data and not be impacted by no, that. But then it comes back to scripture. Yep. Jesus wept. Uh, amen. At Lazarus' yeah. tomb. 100%. His yeah. friend died. He good. brought him back, but he still cried in the middle. Yep. And I love that. that, that um, I, too, really, like, it made me think of my friends. Mm. Um, and then, again, the conviction of the expectation of what I'm putting on my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that is. It's big. Those are huge. Really, those really were big. really huge questions. Yeah. Um. Let's. You ask the congregants the same. Do those strike clump? If so, yeah. That God's wanting us to move in that. So I know for me, I'm like sending out some. Hey, hey girls, right, right. I miss my friends. Yeah. And I don't want it to be a deathbed regret. For sure. And and then I compared and contrasted to okay, if that's the majority of humanity, and I think that's right, and I think she's on to something. Then I hear the Apostle Paul say, "To live is Christ, to die is gain." Yeah. So how as as your pastor and as us as congregants and pilgrims in the journey of life, how do we get there? That's the goal. Yeah. That's where we're going is to step back and go, because I remembered my death, I renewed my life. So to live as Christ and to die as gain in light of that. And the quote, I won't read it again, but I think it's very important because it says, if death is not a problem... Jesus won't be much of a solution. Right. And so that's why we're spending six weeks to really feel the weight of death, almost to the point of, ugh, I can't handle this anymore. Like, because then Easter comes bursting in. Yes, and I think that's beautiful. You never enjoy the cheeseburger or the pizza (laughs) until you've, you know, ate salads for, you know, however long. It tastes that much better. And I think that's why Easter, the gospel, is detached from us, because we don't stop and meditate my own mortality. How short is this life? If death is not a problem, then Jesus is not a solution. So for six weeks, we're looking at the problem, and then we're going to go nuts and celebrate the solution. I am so excited to walk on this journey with you. Like I really am. Um, Parents, the kids' side kids are not exactly doing the same thing, so you don't have to worry about all those whoa questions. We planned and hashed that out, and so yes. They're working on things a little different. So the application that you gave the congregants, those that were in the room, and if you're not in the room and you want to walk through this, please um, do. Yeah, absolutely. Spend 10 to 15 minutes a day this week meditating on Psalm 9012. Yeah. So teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Yeah, I just think sitting with that for five to 10 minutes a day because it's a prayer, right? Yeah. So, so starting in verse 12, the rest of the psalm is Moses asking for things. Yeah. And really, to sum it all up, if I were to teach Psalm 90 maybe differently, is when I number my days, I enjoy my days. Yes. That's what he says in the psalm, essentially. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, and, and it goes back to that St. Jose Marie. There's wisdom in that. When you contemplate that, your priority list changes. Things shift in light of that. And it has to be a heart shift. Your, yes. your, your heart is fickle. Your brain yeah. knows things. Your heart has to feel them and it's live good. them. And then this was probably like the most fun we've ever had at Westside, yes. she says in a very snarky country yes. drawl. Write your own obituary. Yep. And so this is a very um, popular self-reflection exercise that um, a lot of you know counselors and people will will have people do. And I think it's very appropriate for this. But it, you know, we even gave out a sheet that had some helps on it list your name, kind of all of that stuff. And then 
just some processing questions as as you're writing your own obituary, what comes to the surface? I love that you did this because so I have a person close to me in my life. Yeah. Um, we've had the conversation about death and yeah. it is not good. Sure. Um, and I, I say all these things like I forced my family close mm. to me to have these conversations when a loved one passed away who we had not been in contact with for a while. Yeah. Um, and that brought up a lot of, oh, my gosh, where are they going to bury? Yeah. What all just the very practical sure. things of. And we're going to get into that, at, by the way. Yes, we are going to dig deeper into yeah. that. And I love that you. In writing your own obituary, you know, your name, your date of birth, all of the important things that, you know, we see typically. And I don't really want to, you know, necessarily say important, but no, sure. it's a list of the, the usual yep. things. Um, and I was having a conversation with someone and she's like, well, I've been divorced. Do I list my maiden name and my married name or... <laughs> Okay, so I'm older. I don't really live over here anymore. I live over <laughs> here. Do I list the things that I did when I lived in over here? Wow. And was really kind of hung up. And I don't, she wanted the practical. Yeah. She wanted basically. Well, well, first off, I think from a counseling standpoint, what I would ask somebody like that is that sounds like there's a lot of, um, Maybe unresolved anxiety. I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, in a love, lot of that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. The person who I am speaking of will know exactly who she is when yes, she hears this. That's great. Um, and yes, I, I absolutely sure. agree that it's like, uh, there's all of this stuff about my life. It sure. Yeah. It feels weird. Sure. But my favorite thing of this is that you said, what emotions am I feeling? Yep. How is my body when I write this? Yep. What are some things? themes that I see in my obituary. Yeah. And I think that does force us in that moment of reflection to remember, hey, when we die, this is, we're renewing our life. Like yes. remembering our death renews our life. So when you take that moment and pause yeah. to write your obituary out, we're still living, guys. You have yes. a moment to change the things, you change your heart, it. adjust. Yes. And, and I thought, like, I think what's so sad is at least for me, but this also goes back to my Enneagram number being an Enneagram three, like one of my greatest fears would be that like, oh, he liked books or they like to garden or like for just that to be said mm -hmm. of a description versus a deep impact, a, a real relationship. This person was here for me, this person. And the reason why I put like, how is your body reacting when you write to this? Is it tense? Yeah. Are you writing fast? Or how about this? Have you avoided it? Have mm. you thought about it in your head, but you didn't set down to write it because then it becomes a finality when yeah. you actually, like there's a lot of signs to this that we need to process and figure this thing out for I, sure. I think starting this sermon series. And this was like the introduction. We yeah. are going to wade deeper and sure. get more into this um, and into death, remembering yeah. our death and how it does affect our life. I think this, I am going to do this this week. Awesome. And um, groups are going to read those together. Yes. That's going to be awesome. Really I'm, good. I'm excited for that. But I also want to kind of revisit it at the end mm. after we've walked through this. That's good. And I've probably, Sometimes it takes time to process some emotion. Wow, that's a really good insight. Yeah. Um, but I kind of want to revisit it just yeah. personally for myself to see how mm, that good. changes. That's really good. Um, I like that. So here's the thing, guys. Um, Tyler's, you know, taking some vocal time to slowly build back up. So you've got me here <laughs> asking Jason yes. all the hard questions, putting yes. him on the spot. So if you guys have something. Please, um, guys, send us questions. We've got them at info at westsidepb.org, and um, we'll get emails in on that. This is a very applicable series. And so just to give you a preview of what's coming, basically each Sunday what we'll do is, is we will take one giant question um, like this Sunday is, where did death begin? Ooh. What are the origins of death? And so we're going to look at that. Um, you know, one question is, how do I prepare to die? How do I die well? Or those types of questions. So each week we'll be doing something like that. Please send in your questions. Um, we would love to hash those out. One book that I would highly recommend that has been very helpful to me in prep, is called Remember Death, The Surprising Path to Living Hope 
by Matthew McCullough, and you can get it on Amazon for $19, but it is a fantastic, it's a short read, but it's fantastic. It it addresses, um, you know, the big questions, the small questions. It's really, really good. So I would highly recommend that as we launch into the sermon series for a resource for you. I love that. Yes. Yes, uh, indeed. Take a moment, slow down, pause, reflect, see what comes up to the surface. Yep. Remembering our death renews our life. Good stuff, man. It's good stuff, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Again, if you got any questions, info at westsidepb.org. We would love to hear from you. We will see you this Sunday. Our worship time is at 10 a.m. We got Kids Side, the normal Kids Side. This past Sunday was our family worship, which was awesome. And it was a blast. And you got Kids Side this Sunday. Our Facebook Live is at 10 a.m. If you got any questions, you can check out our website at westsidepb.org. Org. Nick, it's fun having you in here. Hey, thanks. Thanks for letting me put you on the hot seat. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace.